Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Welcome, everyone. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I'm Michael, and this is Diane. Diane. Hello. And uh, we are leaders of Leaders Alliance, that God is building a network of amazing leaders all around the world, not just church leaders, but leaders in every sphere of society coming together as the body of Christ to say we can make a difference. We can actually begin to influence the world on behalf of the Lord Jesus in a way that produces real impact and real uh blessing to the church, and also transformation within the world around us. Yeah, we would just encourage you to join us. You know, like Michael said, there's people from around the world, a lot of people in America also, but we're developing friendships. We're developing relationships where we have speakers on every week. Um, This is our podcast branch, obviously, because you're here, but In our um, broadcast, we have speakers every week. We have loads of teaching, and it's going to be a place. We're developing the technology right now that should be released over the next month or two where we can create a format like LinkedIn where what you're doing and what you're involved in, you can post that. And so that somebody across the world or in your next door neighborhood can know who you are and link with you, and then you can give them you know, we can we can um, be authentic with one another and help one another in what we're doing in life. And we have a couple of really strong motivations. One is that we believe that the church is entering into a season of great harvest that many have prophesied even up to a billion souls coming to Christ in the coming season. We want to prepare the church. We want to prepare every believer to be part of that amazing work of God. And that means that we need to raise the leader level of the average believer across the board. And so we have, we're about to release a, a leadership training course, an e-course that's going to be phenomenal. We're, uh, we have a library of over five. 500 uh, videos that are arranged in about 60 courses for marketplace leaders and for evangelists and for church builders and uh, and leaders like that. So we have a wider range of of uh, of library of of amazing resources. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, so much in life, we feel like we're in reinventing the wheel, and um, there's there's people that have expertise in the areas that we don't. And sometimes we don't know why what we're doing or building or how we're living, why it's not succeeding, but there's answers out there. And we're trying to build a platform of information, but also relationships so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel with our lives and that we can just take leaps ahead instead of steps ahead. That's so good. And, And you don't have to be alone. That's that we can right. actually link arms and build collaborative relationships where we're working together to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what I want to do right now is shift gears and introduce our guests for today. Um, Jesse and Parker, could you guys come on? These are amazing revivalists. We've gotten to spend a little bit of time with them in the past. We got a good hour with them just a few minutes ago, uh, hearing more of their story and what God has done through them. But they are some of the most inspirational people I know of right now. They impacted my heart. I don't know if, uh, Diane, you have something to add there? They are on fire alive, and they're authentic. They're young. 
there there's an anointing on them to really um, have a breakthrough in the area of evangelism, of revival. They don't like to, you know, quote, tell them, tell people that about themselves so much, but that, that God's using them as breakthrough. And, and um, as you hear them, you'll see, wow, these are forerunners of what God wants to do across the nations at this time. Like we need you, you guys, we're so glad you're here. And I want to say their family motto, they said, is obedience is success. And they live that out. And, and you'll see through their stories, um, how that plays out. And it's really exciting. And the final thing by way of introduction that makes us love you so much is that mm -hmm. uh, you're, you know, Diane and I just celebrated our 41st anniversary, but we met at an outreach. Yes. Just like did. what you're oh, talking wow. about. We had about 500 believers come to reach the city of San Francisco. Uh, we held hands on the first night <laughs> because we were in an intense, you know, we we're surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of very angry people. Um, but wild. And so God, you know, worked in our, our relationship. We, we fell in love, got married, and uh, we hosted revival in the similar way to what you guys had done for the first several years before we kind of became pastors and then built a church. So we brought our seven babies <laughs> to meetings. Yeah, exactly. So Parker and Jesse. Take it from here. Come Share on. maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes about your Come story. On. And then we're going to dig into some real questions with you about how this revival thing works. Okay. So go yeah, for it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. We're so here. excited because I, as I shared when we talked earlier, you know, I love that you guys are doing this with Leaders Alliance. I know that even we've discussed before, I wish something like this existed when yeah. We were first getting started and we felt so alone and we were hitting different things that we had no idea about. And we just thought, gosh, like we can't keep going just by ourselves. And um, I remember when my friend Jessica told me you guys were starting this, I thought, gosh, this is what will keep that revival moving because, you know, I think as we can all link arms and encourage each other and bring strength with the different giftings and anointings, um, it really is a, a weapon against any of the plots of the enemy. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need someone to even say like, I'm in your corner, keep going. No kidding. And I think that this is such a powerful resource to people. Um, and so we're just really honored to just be a part of this conversation. Um, Diane, as you said before, sometimes it's hard for us to even say that we're revivalists or pioneers because yeah. every moment I think um, we can almost end up in tears thinking about just the fact that God is allowing us to be used yeah. to see souls saved. That um, I think that we're a prophetic signpost for many people of what's available. And um, our journey was really pretty simple. We saw a vision of thousands of people being saved and baptized in Huntington Beach. And we were living in New York and we moved across the country without a job and pretty much laid down <laughs> all of that stuff um, with a newborn baby and moved to a place where we didn't know anyone and just started doing street evangelism and making disciples of people we would meet in Huntington Beach. And Pretty much 2019. Yeah, we we had a tiny little church, a home like, like two, church. two home churches, which is mo most people would call them. 
of about I think we Probably maxed like 30, out around 40 or 40 people. My dreams were much larger than that, but that's what it actually ended <laughs> yeah, up looking yeah. like. Um, so yeah, so we were very like not on anybody's radar, even a little bit. Um, so very much in a weird apartment with carpet next to the beach, which got filthy really quickly. <laughs> Well, and just like a weird situation. The fact so. that the average church in America is 60 people. That's right. the average church size. You guys were you guys were doing good in home groups. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and the reality is, is we um Parker had been trained at Hillsong in Australia. We were um, oh, campus. <laughs> yeah, we are campus pastors um, in New York of a multi-site church, okay. and yet it felt like God was ripping apart from us yes. um, everything that we knew and telling us to reach the lost and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And we were like, how do you even do that? Like, we don't even know how to do those things. You invite them to church. Yeah, you invite right, them to actually, church. That's what yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we were very much, I feel like, at... Um, like page zero when it comes to ministry it felt like every we were just in the gospels day in day out and just trying to copy what we saw in scripture and 2019 um in prayer i heard green light the harvest begins summer 2020 and we had pretty much given up everything for this vision um and risked everything for the maybe small chance that revival was going to break out in California. So we were hedging everything on that bet and on that vision. And when I heard from the Lord Greenlight, we were just stoked. And um, I cold called 184 pastors in California, wow. just sharing the vision. No one knew who we were. They're like, who's this random person? like trying to set up a meeting and we were just like there's a harvest coming we need to prepare the nets um we did you get any bites we did we yes. did we had like crazy favor um oh. with that parker we would we had a smoker in our backyard so parker would make brisket and we would invite <laughs> them over for barbecues and i would just share that there, there was a there was a harvest coming and we needed to get our people outside of the church and parker kept saying that everything was about to change everything we knew about church was about to change we needed to get the nets ready and so we thought we were doing an evangelism conference we were going to book out the hilton on pacific coast highway and pretty much at the week we were about to sign our contract for the hilton um, in March 2020, COVID breaks out and everything goes into lockdown mode. Mm -hmm. And we were now, pre I was pregnant now with our third child. And we thought, okay, huge relief, actually. We have no money and no venue and no speakers and no plans. So why don't we postpone this till next year? And God said, I'm not a liar and started to speak to us through John 20, 21. And we just basically changed our whole plan to just get a $60 megaphone, go to Huntington Beach on July 3rd, preach the gospel. Um, and in the midst of crazy lockdowns, government restrictions, global pandemic, um, everything being shut down, postponed, 
um, the church being flipped upside down. We shared the gospel on the beaches and hundreds came, which turned to thousands. Um, wow. The LA Times covered our event several occasions and we saw over the course of four weeks, which then turned to six, we saw thousands baptized, saved, healed, delivered. Um, we were in, we say we were in revival boot camp because we were reading books about spiritual warfare, like while baptizing people and learning about like, what is revival and reading revival history books and everything. And since then, um, we've hosted four revival events, um, another in California. And then this last year we went to Kentucky um, to do a camp meeting and then North Carolina. And now we're looking for land in North Carolina to host sustained revival meetings and trainings to send people out to ignite revival where they are now. Wow. That's so amazing. So mighty. Wow. Now, along the way, you literally had in Southern California police trying to arrest you <laughs> to shut it down. I know that in Kentucky, you had a, a classic tent revival where literally a generation ago, they had a tent revival that you were completely unaware of, but you were stirring up wells of revival and it rained the entire week. 500 people came and more people got baptized, laying out in the mud. Like this is some radical stuff. And you moved forward in the midst of opposition and even had a lot of churches stand against you because you weren't being obedient to Caesar or whatever, like to the lockdown. <laughs> you had a lot of, um, lot of, lot of drama in there in the midst of all that. Yeah. So give us a little bit of a picture of that side that Diane just mentioned. Yeah. So we essentially had um, initially um, they kind of left us alone for a couple of weeks and then the police showed up at our house and I didn't have my address updated on my license even at that point. So somehow they found us, knocked on our door, came in, um, threatened to arrest us if we continued with the actual event. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, we decided to go forward with the event anyways. Because um, it was in an hour. <laughs> well, it was very soon. He's like, but you can cancel it. I'm like, I'm like, bro, people are going to show up. <laughs> like whether you like it or not, there's yeah, going to be a crowd there there. Not. And then we got some free advertisement. They put out some road signs um, from the county <laughs> that said saturate is canceled. And people are like, what's saturate? So, <laughs> yeah, actually, a lot of people wow. got saved because they came because they saw that it was canceled and they were like, what's that? Googling it. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that was a, that was an intense moment for sure. Um, I've got the body cam footage from uh, the court <laughs> case that happened after that oh, conversation, so that's exciting. Um, and then um, from there, I think there was just a basic resistance as well. Like you had spiritual resistance that we weren't super aware of. We were just kind of babies, babies. Yeah, just kind of going along. Like why? we were like angels and demons are real. Like, <laughs> it's like why, why did my, why did my car explode? And why did our house flood? And why are we in a hotel now? And all that's like happening <laughs> and all, all the of same our time. kids are sick. And <laughs> oh, like, no. yeah, we didn't know any of yeah, that. So we're, we're just thinking, oh, well, you know, just, you know, stuff is happening. We're just trudging <laughs> along. Um, but you know, every time we'd see hundreds of people at these events get baptized, you know, all that warfare and all that stuff ends up being worth it. 
Um, and all the difficulty ends up being worth it. And I think one of the things in the United States that we're bad at is a theology of suffering. So um, it's not always an evil spirit that's after you, but sometimes like God is actually allowing certain things in a way so that you can actually push through and he can make you tougher and you can grow up a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think that initial revival in California helped us grow up oh, yeah. a little bit into what we needed to learn about team, what we needed to learn about how to deal with uh, civic authority, how we needed to deal with lots of different things, how we needed to deal with pastors in the area that wanted a revival in their church and they were mad it was happening outside their church yeah. um, and didn't want to engage with what we were doing. Um, and now we've seen since then, like we, we always joke that we are in revival boot camp because God has been connecting us with so mm -hmm. many generals of the faith people like yourselves that have done this before, that have done outreaches, that have led revival, that have dealt with spiritual warfare, where um, it's been providential, just the people that God's brought into our lives, where we feel like for us, um, it's helped us to realize like, you know, that moment when Elijah's hiding in the caves and he's like, I'm the only one. And <laughs> God's like, well, not really. Um, <laughs> I think that it's been amazing that as sometimes people pioneer and maybe people listening, God's asking you to do something. You feel like you're alone. You're the only one. Um, the amazing thing about the kingdom is as you step out in faith, um, as you pioneer, you'll start to be connected supernaturally to other people that are burning with the same things. And I always say like the fire attracts other fires. Yeah. And we have been supernaturally through, honestly, the, the grace of God to people that are experts when it comes to some of the things that we had no clue about, where we can call people now and be like, what do we do? What do you think? Get wisdom, get counsel. And for me, it just shows me that this is just the beginning of really this catalytic revival that is taking place right now that we're just starting to, I think, see. That's yeah, so there's sparks everywhere. So yeah, I think there's a lot of that happening. Well, um, you know, uh, I wrote a book with uh, Banding Leapshire a few years ago called Revival Culture. And uh, it's one of the passions of our heart for literally decades. Um, how do you guys define revival? I mean, obviously, you're seeing not only signs and wonders, not only people encountering God, you're, you're, you're seeing deliverances, you're seeing healings, but you're also seeing souls come to Christ and you're seeing baptisms happening on the spot. Talk to us about your definition and how you see it manifesting among you. Yeah, uh, I think we can bounce back and forth on this because we definitely come at it from different spiritual giftings. And I think we see we see the different, yeah, <laughs> we see the world differently, but we see I think we see what revival is and we, we feel the pulse in a different way. Um, so uh, for me, um, certainly uh, God's sovereign move, something different than a regular church service, um, something different than shouting and excitement and screaming revival. Yeah. Um, you can shout revival all you want, um, but if it's not happening, it's just not happening. You know what I mean? There's some yeah. sovereign element to revival that you can't predict. Um, and uh, it, I think it comes from our decision to lay ourselves down. Um, and then I think one of the things that we saw across the board um, was a deep thirst and a deep hunger um, of, of people 
that were willing to just lay themselves down to see revival actually happen. Um, you know, they had the time for it. That was the crazy part for me. People mm -hmm. were spending time with us for three to four days at a time. Some of them camping out in the rain in Kentucky. They wow. were filthy. I mean, there's no showers out there. We we had out like like porta potties lined <laughs> up, and that was the best they were getting for toiletries. You know what I mean? So so people were just hungry for it. They wanted it, and they really wanted it with their actions. It wasn't talking about it. It wasn't a, a, a display of emotion. It was actual action. And, and that's one of the things that really inspired me about what we've seen across the board is, is folks that are so humble and so hungry and, you know, some of them so weird. Um, but, but just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just draw the weirdos with revival, but, so true. but really, um, and then a, another mm. marker that I saw and Jesse can take it from here with what she sees. Um, we saw, uh, markers on each of our events, but one of the main things that we saw was mass deliverance in that Trinitarian event in, in the baptismal pools. We saw yeah. like, like the real deal. Like our security guard was a Baptist Marine, Baptist, former Marine, former Marine that worked in anti-terrorism units. And he was not spirit filled when he arrived. He was by the time he thought he everything was so weird. Yeah. But, but by the end, Red River Meeting House, he hears this woman, uh, young girl manifest. And, and he looks at me, he goes, that's not a person. <laughs> and so, wow. so we had to run over there and <laughs> this little 115 pound girl was thrashing people around so we and and she got delivered and so we saw just a lot of god's love pouring out in the in the uh, sense of deliverance him setting his people free and these people are like we're christians yeah right i'm a christian and they'd show up and, and get delivered if that messes with your theology that's fine it's just what i've seen so yeah well and that's the thing too is like um i think when I, I know for me, when we moved to California, knowing the deep revival history of Jesus people movement, we were just so hungry to learn and we would meet with people. And so many people would tell us stories about how God once moved, but so few people could demonstrate to us any power or any like new stories, like no one had a story from the last like 10 years. Yeah. And so for us, we start to wonder like, is this something that's even available for real? Or is it only happening in places like Mozambique with Heidi Baker, Dave Hogan in Mexico? And, mm -hmm. you know, you hear these stories and you wonder why we don't see things like that all the time. And then when this started to break out, um, I think what I love about revival and what I think maybe separates it from a normal Christian conference or event is, first of all, um, every every I would say every night that there is a gathering, they are so uniquely different. Because the Holy Spirit, I think, is so wildly creative mm -hmm. that he knows exactly how to minister to the people that are there. So there'd be one night where um, it's like honing in on the Father's love and grown men just crying and 
fathers being reconciled to their sons and families being baptized together. We had five people in a baptismal together, marriages getting reconciled. And then the next night is like, deliverance from sexual immorality and people that have committed adultery and men like repenting to their wives for addictions. And, and you're just like, well, this is very different than the night before. (laughs) And it's just like, I think so often we've spoken at conferences and events the last few years, and I can feel when the Holy Spirit's starting to move in this way. It's like you can start to feel he's bringing us into this deeper measure of his love and his glory and his power that actually does change us. And we'll see sometimes some ministers will just allow it to happen and revival starts to break out and repentance and I think while you see so many salvations happen is because like you and I and everyone listening, I'd imagine to this podcast, like we're Christians, we're believers. We say we believe that Jesus died and rose again and gave us the Holy Spirit. But what revival does is it reminds us what we believe. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, of course I have to share the gospel. Like, These people are killing themselves. We just got reports of all these suicides in New York. And it's like, of course we have to go there and share the gospel because I actually know the solution for their pain. And revival reminds, I think, Christians of why they're Christians. Yes. Mm, And so you see those ripples of salvations happen because we start behaving like the church again. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. One of the things that we've seen in, in our experiences with revival is that when people are humble, are hungry and are willing, the Lord will come. And um, it really, you know, people will ask you questions. Well, how did this happen? How do you do it? Can you teach us how to do it? You can't do it. It's literally a people presenting their hearts before God and him honoring that with favor and anointing and doing a sovereign move. That's why I it, what you're saying just rings a bell with all of the amazing encounters that we've been a part of and long term outpourings is that um, you're you're a part of it, but you're also a spectator because it's so awesome. And it's so clearly not coming from yourself. It's like you're you're literally even though you're a part of maybe a prayer time or a baptism and these things are happening you're witnessing the living god doing the miraculous and it is it brings life to you as much as it does to anybody else and it inspire, inspires you this is what i want to give my life to this is what how i want to live the rest of my life wow oh 100% i always tell people i'm like you know, I'm from New York. I'm kind of like more like a bougie, like I like light, nice hotels with white linens. I hate camping. I am not like that kind of person. But yet when you're seeing God move like that mm-hmm. and you're watching just his power move through people, it it ruins you for anything else where I'm like, I will stay in the mud for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because 
this is all I ever want to experience forever and ever. And I'll pay any price. It's like <laughs> the, the story of the pearl of great price, that value, that, that treasure. It's like you get ruined for it where I, I think almost like just any kind of standard Christianity just becomes um, like, you just have no taste for it anymore because you're like, there's more available. There's so yeah. much more. Yeah. And so it kind of ruins you for everything. Yeah. You're wow. just trying to stay on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. It's not like you made it happen. It's like you're trying to stay on a wave or stay on a board and you don't, you have maybe no idea where it's going, <laughs> but you try to keep your eyes open the best you can and keep keep moving forward. Yeah. Tell us the story of um, like you were at Sid Roth's uh, TV thing and God spoke to you about uh, Kentucky. I, I want to hear that a, a little bit more and give us some details of what happened in Kentucky. That was just this last summer, right? The, just a few months ago, really. Yeah, that was this last summer. We have some amazing footage um, that we'll be adding on YouTube soon because we have so much video footage of just the crazy things that have happened. Um, but yeah, I was at Sid Roth's studio um, two months before we knew we were going to do some kind of event in Kentucky because we kept getting all these prophetic words about redigging the wells. And we knew that Kentucky, there was a revival well, but we knew nothing about the second great awakening or anything about that. So I'm at Sid's studio and I'm sitting there and um, in the hallway of, I actually have a picture of it, but in the hallway, there's a picture, uh, like a painting of when the Israelites left Egypt and they set up camp in the desert. And basically the picture has like this tent meeting and the fire of God coming down. And I just saw it and I said, I feel like that's what's supposed to happen. I feel yeah. like that is the new thing that God's doing. And I called Parker and I said, I go, Parker, I think we're supposed to invite people to come camping in Kentucky and just like come out on a field and set up camps. And that night I had dinner with Kate Smith from Catch the Fire. And I said to her, I was like, you know, I had the weirdest idea today of when we go to Kentucky, actually inviting people to sleep in tents and to basically just come under the stars and see that what God will do. And she was like, that's so crazy. She's like, did you ever hear of like camp meetings? And I was like, no, what, like, tell me about them. And so she started to tell me. And then I started to do all this research and it was in Kentucky, <laughs> ironically, of all places that awesome. that's where the first camp meeting actually ever was. And it was just so funny because I feel like sometimes when you're following Jesus, we say all the time, it's like this breadcrumb trail where he just drops things into you and then all of a sudden confirms it through all these funny ways. And so then I started studying Charles Finney and the Second Great Awakening. And we invited people to come out and just set up a camp and set up a tent and hundreds of people came out camping with us, including ourselves. We moved out of our house into a trailer and which was crazy and <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> and, 
And we just saw God move in a way where um, he was even using nature to glorify himself. Mm -hmm. Like, um, just like we would start, like we have a video of this where um, it was quiet and still. And then I started preaching the gospel and doing the altar call and all of this wind starts rushing in and literally everything's flying around. <laughs> and then as soon as the altar calls finished, the wind stopped. Wow. And everyone just runs forward and repents <laughs> because it was like, that was freaky. <laughs> That's amazing. A sign and a wonder. Yeah. yeah. And it just kept happening. Like, yeah, there was a lot there of was rainbows <laughs> in the sky randomly. There was a double yeah. rainbow one yeah. of the nights. In like... North Carolina, we had a storm completely skirt around us. So we were surrounded by lightning and you could see it. Amazing. But over us, it was just completely open. But yeah. I got to preach with the background of a lightning storm with, with thunder and lightning in the background so not <laughs> a bad awesome. pretty pretty epic production <laughs> kind of like elijah you know so yeah that's awesome. <laughs> yeah that's so great well parker one of the things that you talked about in our members meeting earlier was just this idea of the cost uh can we right. kind of go there a little bit i know you guys have paid some price i know diane and i if you hear our story we've paid some price as well for the revival seasons that we saw in san francisco um but i think it's really par for the course i mean if you look back even into the apostles in the new testament you see a price being paid by these different men and women who stuck their neck out for the kingdom and then throughout church history it's the same it's like there's always an initial outpouring there's an initial resistance sometimes even from the believers um, and then you see that kind of carrying on. There's spiritual warfare of different kinds. Some of it seems circumstantial. Some of it seems outright demonic. You know, um, talk about your perspective on that and, and maybe some of that that you've experienced. Yeah, I, I think if your number one goal is to be liked, then you're probably going to miss revival. <laughs> because um, oh, so true. <laughs> it's, um, it's not, it's never been one of my top goals. So I, I think we're maybe shaped for it. But uh, I think every single person that really wants revival, that's really thinking about revival or or wants to see it happen in their city, because we get emails all the time. Yeah. Um, come to our city or to we're going to see that same yeah. thing happen here or we're going to get started with that as well. And I always caution people because um, I saw Jesus do the same thing. He's like, you know what? We don't have a place to lay our head. And, you know, we were on the road for four plus months with three little kids. And um, you can imagine the tension that would build when mm -hmm. you get lost in the middle of the night or looking for a place to park an RV. And it's one in the morning and you've already been driving for 12 hours with little kids and like things just get wild. Yeah, like and, it tested our marriage to a whole other yeah, level. <laughs> we just don't have space. And, and I think um, one of the main areas of resistance is the established church. And I hate to say it, but um, most folks want to see revival happen in their church. And if they see it happen somewhere else, um, something in them has to justify that it hasn't happened in their church yet yeah. um, or it hasn't happened in their space yet. And I get that. 100% I get that. I've been there. You know what I mean? I've pointed fingers at people that are doing better things than me and tried to find a way to justify myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the cost there for us was we lost a lot of friendships. Wow. Um, 
and continue to. Um, I I don't think it's something that um, is avoidable long term if you're going to just do exactly what God asks you to do. And I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about leaving people in the dust. What I'm talking about is you're the only person in the whole world that's going to answer in front of the great white throne to Jesus. Your pastor is not going to do it for you. Some YouTube preacher is not going to do it for you. Some TikToker preacher is not going to do it for you. (laughs) That's where we're at now. Um, But um, I I think the reality is that Jesus was really clear about it. He said, pick up your cross and follow him. And it's like one of the guys that I really love to follow, he's not a Christian at all, is is Jordan Peterson. And one of the things that he says is, is pick up the heaviest load that you can, you can bear and bear it with responsibility. And I'm probably butchering the quote, but um, I think for too many of us, we've seen Christianity as something that's constantly giving to us or give me, give me, give me, or there's candy in the drawer um, or going for the cookie jar of faith instead of the faith that actually moves mountains will cost you something. And it will cost you significant things, um, things that are close to you and things that are dear to your heart. And I think everyone needs to to write those things down and lay them out in front of them and say, God, every part of this is yours. When you invited Jesus into your life as an exchange, you were purchased with yeah. a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. <clears throat> and revival can happen when a bunch of Christians believe they don't belong to themselves anymore. That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we've been in times and seasons of major outpouring, I felt like, wow, I get to be a therapist, a counselor, a great physician. You're literally with people and God may give you words of knowledge, we call them, knowledge that you had no idea of about this person, that Mm. a therapist might work with them for two years, three years and not get to the point, but God gives you a nugget, say, about their past and you speak it out and enlightens their heart and brings truth where there were lies and they get freed in a moment or physical healings be healed in a moment. Um, That is supernatural. And that is what Jesus said, you know, greater works than, than I'm going to do. You guys are supposed to do these too. And even though there's a price to bear, we, we did seasons our longest season was for 18 months every night. And wow. we all of our kids every night. And they would be open-ended sessions. Sometimes they'd be six hours. My kids learned how to sleep under the chairs. Like that was a price. And it was so compelling and so enlivening. You know, um, Jesus said, out of your innermost being will come rivers of living water. Like right. you're giving it, but you're also getting fed by it. Like on the edge of your seat, can't wait to get back. And that's, that is only something God can do. Because when you think about it, wow, do I want to go to a meeting for 18 months every night (laughs) and everything else? Like, that's insane. Nobody would want that. But when the spirit of God is there, there's this incredible contagious life. And, um, and God's within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Like he not only makes us want to do it, but gives us the strength to do it. That's that's what you're talking about. That's what that's what we're praying for 
would go global again, like a mass revival, a billion cell harvest. Yeah, Diane, it's funny you say that too, because I feel like you're hitting on something that actually the enemy has been using against a lot of people is this idea of um, like ministry burnout and balance. And we get all the time, like from friends and stuff too, like, well, make sure that you're like prioritizing your family and you don't get burned out and all of this stuff. And the reality is, is um, a lot of that advice comes from people that have theories about moves of God, but are not practitioners. Um, Because a lot of people that are in the fire say very different things. Um, But that's exactly right what you said, because even like our children, we have a five-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And uh, last year we moved across the country. I mean, we've lived by faith financially for five years now, support raising. And God has always provided for our family. There have been times when it's been lean, but we've never (laughs) starved. And uh, the thing is, is our kids, um, God is doing something in them as well. And for me, I'm like, this is the best thing we could do for our children. Like we were just at a wedding a few months ago and my husband was officiating the wedding and uh, my son, David, who's five looks at me and he, he's like, mom, where, where are the baptisms? (laughs) I go, no, "No, this is a wedding. Why, why would you think there's going to be baptisms? And he goes, well, when people are in love, don't they get baptized? Oh. And I start crying, obviously. Oh. But you're like, wow, the Holy Spirit is literally raising up the next generation if we'll actually bring them in with us. Mm. And and then when it comes to burnout, exactly like you're saying, it's almost the opposite is true. It's it's the thing that you're actually longing for in your Christian life yeah. is being given to you. So the things that you're desiring for in your soul are being met. And so it's that we always say that same verse that out of you will flow rivers of living water. Yeah. And I feel like the people that experience the most burnout and the people that experience the most apathy in their faith are the ones that aren't going out and sharing the gospel and doing the work of ministry. Because when you do it, you're actually receiving the love of God in you and through you too. So like, I always say, I'm like, every time I give a prophetic word to someone or pray for someone that doesn't know Jesus, I just start crying because I'm reminded like, whoa, like, God's so real and he knows us. And if he loves this person this much, that means he loves me that much. Mm. And it just brings you back to that salvation moment for yourself too. And it's like burnout's not even on the radar. Well, it's, it's been proven that burnout doesn't come from hard work. It comes from depression, uh, anxiety, relational problems, that, that brings a lack of hope. So burnout and That's hard so work, good. not even equated. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to ask you guys a little bit about your relationship. 
because you guys are leading revival together, but you're obviously, I'm just getting to know you, but you know, I can see that you're wired a little bit differently than each other. Okay. Everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. We never fight. One of our biggest passions. <laughs> yeah. One of our biggest passions though, is equipping leaders. And one of the things we see, especially because of our, our loyalty and, and affiliation with Catch the Fire is that they really value couples ministering together. And yet it's not always easy. I mean, Diane's more prophetic. I tend to be a little bit more apostolic. You know, she tends to see things I don't see. And I, I tend to kind of want to structure things in a way that she does. You know, it's like we have that. How do you guys uh, cooperate? Okay. That's in terms true. of your. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I always say to Jess, I said, we're either going to light the world on fire or burn our own house down. <laughs> it's going to be one of the two. I can't decide. But um, I think I think we've learned as we've gone, it's almost eight years now, which I think for some people listening isn't a super, uh, super long time. Judging by watching Facebook lately, it's a pretty long time for millennials. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so um, I think... I think for me, um, what I've had to do personally is lay down quite a bit of what I thought ministry would look like or what it should look like um, when we're on to something that's really working. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest part for me was... Um, especially be really real right now. especially <laughs> especially in ministry um you know that's what i was trained to do and I, if you know a lot of ministers they're not much good at anything else yeah. um so <laughs> um I, I think for for me i had to learn how to uh partner with prophetic visions that she's having and lay brick i mm. think that's one of the biggest things that i've had to learn how to do yeah um you know, I see, I see macro prophetic. I see a lot of trends. I see things that are happening all the time. Um, but, um, you know, I would need Jess to get a crowd to show up so that I could preach to it. And then she would need me to, on the opposite end, actually give biblical teaching on the, on the back end and give them the father's heart and, and guide them out of the space that they're in. So yeah. there's this tension all the time of who's in charge right now, what's going on, uh, who is who's hearing from the Lord the best, you know, <laughs> right? Like especially in the midst of revival, where you're like, "This is what we're doing tonight," and I'm like, "That's not what I'm hearing. Let's do this." <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's like, and there's 1,500 people waiting for us to do something, and we're having like this. No, I heard the Lord this way. No, you hear the Lord this oh, way. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I think by by the summer of this year, after riding in the RV and driving across the country, I think we, we actually landed on a pretty good rhythm with each other. Um, and um, I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, I don't know how to describe it because it doesn't fit into the theological boxes of complementarianism and something else. Right. You know what I mean? Jess lets me lead. She'll let me like make a final decision, but she'll <laughs> definitely push real hard and like i'm gonna have a fight on my hands if i disagree and that's fine like it makes me feel alive i like that 
but um, I, I think we found a balance there. And then you throw the kids in the mix, and I don't know if we have even time to get into raising oh, children. That's, that's that's the whole topic, yeah. <laughs> but like, let them see. I guess is the best yeah. thing that we figured out so far with the kids. Let them see what you're doing because they do what they see, um, yeah. not necessarily what you tell them as much. They'll remember some things you say, but they'll remember dad and mom did this, dad and mom did that. Yeah. Um, and I've started to see that with my kids now that they're getting to an age where I can actually have conversations with them. Mm -hmm. Like I was at, just in my home gym Saturday morning and they just walked out and started trying to push a weight sled around and they, they just do things that they see you do. Yeah. Um, right. And not, not necessarily like, Hey, you should go work out kid. It's like, no, they're, they're going to want to do it with you and see it. When, one thing that we learned is um, because now we have adult children that went through all that and we get to hear their stories from a different perspective. They do what you do, but, but really it's how they feel in the setting. How is there peace? Is there a sense of security? Is there a sense, you know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, one of the things I'm wondering about you too, the church across the globe is changing. Women are becoming a part of the fellowship more and more. Um, powerful women like you are, Jess, um, are given a platform um, at least in the circles that we walk in more and more. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. It's not, it's, you're forerunners in that area also. For him to have a strong woman that he's willing to listen to and even yield to when he feels like God's in it and vice versa is, is forerunner stuff for the next generation. And I want to commend you for that, but it's, and it's, it's hard. It is hard. So Jess, what are, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, just even like very practically, um, mm -hmm. Parker and I are very disciplined about some things. So where a lot of people see out on social media or on the surface of stuff, we seem more spontaneous and we are very spirit led um, in regards to being on our front foot and able to change and be nimble. Um, we're very disciplined when it comes to just the calendar and scheduling. Um, that used to be a huge point of contention in our marriage of whose work was more important that day and who was supposed to watch the kids and all of those things. And so um, just really practical things like scheduling and um, every month we review the next five months on the calendar and we don't take every speaking engagement that um, invitation that comes in and we really pray about what's our assignment this year, what is supposed to get our yes. Um, Cause we'll find when we're traveling a lot, we'll start fighting more mm -hmm. um, just about things. So um, we we're really probably different than a single person. We're very disciplined about how much we're away and then also just really practically speaking, um, every single week we have a date night where we just have fun together, like mm -hmm. go to events together. And um, we just added a new thing where every Thursday we're going to just go like spend the day together to just share with one another, like what we're hearing from God and mm -hmm. have that space where we can actually talk about what God's talking to us separately about. Um, and then even just like planning family vacations, like next week we're going to Florida for the week with the kids and 
we're really disciplined about that too, where we put our phones on airplane mode for an entire week. And we don't care if the world is burning around us, like we will put our phones in a lockbox, and that's, and I will give Parker all the credit for this. Mm -hmm. um, Parker is militant, like militant <laughs> about us being off technology um, for series of times as a family um, where we can actually unplug from the matrix and hear from God. And we schedule prayer retreats and solitude retreats and like visiting mentors and spiritual mothers and fathers and getting wisdom and seeking out counsel and all of these things that like We'll turn down a speaking engagement to fly to Nashville and spend a few days with people that can just speak into our lives. And wow. um, I don't see a ton of people in our generation prioritizing those things. Mm. And um, my friend Jessica Tate, that's part of Leaders Alliance, we talk about this a lot, but um, some of those spiritual disciplines are often lost, um, yes. I think, for our generation. Um, but like Parker would never share this, but I'm just going to throw him under the bus. But like he just finished a 40 day fast of mm -hmm. just drinking water for 40 days to pray about our year ahead. Right. And so a lot of like the secrets for revival are the things you do in secret right. that people never know about where it's easy to say yes to God when you haven't eaten anything for 40 days. <laughs> and yeah. so That's all you can say. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Where just it's practical stuff. That, no, that's um, awesome. Cause a lot of people don't think of disciplines mm -hmm. as a part of the revival quest. Mm -hmm. It's like, right. you know, but in fact, if you look at the history of revival, so much of revival came out of prolonged seasons in the closet. And, and a lot of that kind of pursuit of holiness that wasn't, you know, put out on Facebook, you know? And so right. we have, we have to wrap up in about five minutes. I want to touch one thing quickly. If you guys, each of you individually, and you might do it together, could just give us like, okay, if you had the three keys mm -hmm. to revival, Okay. Uh, I, I mean, this is tight, but what would they be? Okay. And you guys have, have different answers. So don't, don't, don't feel like you have to have the same answer. But if you just said, okay, personal revival. Okay. What are the three keys? Corporate revival. What's the three keys? Because I think they're probably pretty similar. But how would you guys kind of consolidate what you've learned in the last two or three years, in a sense, hosting revival in an amazing way? What would you say are the non-negotiable essentials? In two and a half minutes. In, in, in five minutes. <laughs> um, number one, the secret place. Yeah. Constant secret place. Um, you can't have to the secret place. Number two, um, <clears throat> I would say uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's doing what he's already doing with him. Yes. Um, I think that's a, you're you're partnering with him in that, and you it's a privilege to do so. Um, number three, um, and this is a historical perspective, um, something that I see: crisis and need. Mm. I mean, uh, revival thrives in a pagan society, um, wow. so um, 
I think there needs to be crisis and need almost every time it's happened. There has been. So that's awesome. Good. Jesse. Yeah. Wait. This is actually a pretty easy and fun question. <laughs> I love it because um, it is, there are some simple practical things. So like number one is just that constant yieldedness of, like Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. And so all the people we disciple, um, we say to them, their number one prayer they should ask every day is, God, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of whatever you're doing? Mm. Um, so often we tell pastors and ministry leaders, like, are you willing to lay down your ministry, your plans um, for what he wants to do? Because it might be something different. Yeah. Um, number two, a little saying we have in our house is from one of our friends, but the lies are clues. So where are you seeing the enemy kind of attacking? Where does it seem like there's chaos? Um, cause sometimes that's actually an indicator that that might be a hot spot for revival. Mm. So for example, we're doing the New York city gospel raid this year because the churches are fleeing New York and no one wants to go into New York right now. And so I actually think that's a prime spot for harvest when mm. it seems like the enemy is winning. That's an indicator that he's definitely not. Mm -hmm. So, um, that just is kind of how we figure a lot of that stuff out. And then um, number three is, again, I think this is a really simple, practical thing, is just closing your eyes and asking God to visually show you by experience um, what it was like to be saved. Wow. And I personally try to go through that experience over and over again, and I can cry about it every time that I go there. I'm remembering the shame that I carried, the depression, the anxiety, the suicidal thoughts, and the fact that Jesus actually set me free from those things mm -hmm. motivates me to keep going. And it helps me to have a high threshold for risk and pain because he's actually real and he changed my whole life. And so that actually can transform someone else's life. Wow. And so I think just remembering what God did for you, um, that gratitude and thankfulness is catalytic. That is such a good reminder, you yeah. know, because again, I think that that's what keeps us in touch with the very rootstock of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. I mean, remembering that. Yeah. Well said, you guys. Hey, um, why don't you speak out? For the people on your podcast, you have a book out. What's the name of it? Where can they can buy it? And what is, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. So um, actually in the midst of revival on the beaches, um, I had a vision. Literally, I saw God's hand go in front of me and there was a white book with the word wildfires in front of it. And I, um, while we were in the middle of revival, I started studying revival history and picking up um, like books like Charles Finney, like revivals of religion. And um, I think I found one thing that um, bothered me was there was no process. I didn't know the emotion in some of it. It was very practical. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote this book, Wildfires, um, 
And it basically, it's a field guide to supernatural revival. And it has really gritty, raw stories of some of the stuff we experienced, um, the journey that got us to the beach revivals, um, some of the warfare and lessons we learn in the midst of it, and then some prophetic words of what we believe is happening in the next 10 years. So I wrote this book actually in three weeks. Um, wow. The Holy Spirit just dumped downloads and um, prophetic visions and just threaded the whole thing. And so, um, yeah, you can get it on our website, um, on thegreens.co or on Amazon. If you buy it from our website, though, um, those are all signed. So if people care about that, then <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. And so we just posted that on the on the uh, podcast page here. And so that's excellent. Well, gosh, we want you to pray for everybody. I know I know Parker had to go pick up the kids from school. Yes. We'd already thought about that. But uh, if you could just release a blessing, because there's people watching right now live, but then there's going to be people in the future also. And I know that God's not even uh, hindered by the fact that somebody can receive an anointing three weeks from now from watching this. So yes. uh, why don't you go ahead and just pray a blessing but certainly we want to have you guys back on a periodic basis just to be able to, we want to, you know, add fuel to what you're doing. So whatever we can do to support you, we're there. Okay. So, but yeah, please pray and, and release that grace. Yeah. I actually, I felt like, um, as we were just getting started, I actually felt like there were going to be a lot of people that were anointed to, really honestly start revivals where they are. And I do think that this revival is going to look like a ripple across the nations. And so if you're listening right now, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that you maybe even found this podcast in a providential way. And so I do believe in prophetic acts and I just think sometimes we can just open up our hands to be in a posture to just receive, yeah. um, and we can just say, yes, God, I'm just going to say yes to you. And so I just want to read um, Song of Solomon over you. It says, fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave all consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Okay, so right now, just put your hand over your chest. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Mm. Endless floods will be un able to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you are the all-consuming fire. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you draw us in, not to tell stories of the fire, but to live a flame 
to be just burning ones, that we would go and ignite cities with this revival fire, that we would go and invite people in to experience your real love, your real power, that we would tell people, just come and see what I have experienced myself. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you baptize us again in your love, in your fire, that you give us a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we would ignite cities with this love that cannot be contained. I pray that any person that's listening, that they felt um, just tired or apathetic, I pray right now that they would be ignited with your love and your passion, that we would not have to fake it anymore. But we could start telling people real stories that we've experienced your love working in our lives. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 How wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you yes. so much. Oh, and obviously, uh, communicate our love to uh, Parker as well yes. and to your yes. children. I got to meet them briefly mm-hmm. in uh, North Carolina. But anyway, so bless you. And, uh, Gosh, you know, we want to stay connected. So, yes. you know, let's just let's just you know shoot for some future times to sort of rendezvous somewhere on the earth and uh, yes, definitely. Praying for you guys. So, okay, well, thanks for all of you who are watching. Um, next week we have a powerful person as well. So come back and see us. Excellent. God bless you all. Bye.